If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. And first pitch crushing! Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy Now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball Today on Wednesday, March 30th. Frank Stample joined by Scott White and the returning Chris Towers. What's going on, Chris? How was Puerto Rico? It looked fantastic. It was beautiful. I hadn't been. We we went every summer. My mom's from Puerto Rico. We used to go every summer. I had been a long time since I'd been. I hadn't been since I was in high school. So it was uh, it was lovely. It's a beautiful, beautiful uh, island. If you ever get a chance to go, highly recommend it. Beautiful people, great food. Old San Juan is beautiful. I went to uh, hit on Beethorn Stadium in San Juan, the historic uh, baseball stadium there. And if you guys remember the. Expos and Marlins used to play there a few series a year. Apparently, they leave it open, so my sister and I just kind of drove up and walked around and took pictures. It's very cool. I'm rocking my Santerce Cangdejeros jersey, uh, mm. Roberto Clemente. So nice. Had a good time. It was a lovely, lovely, ill-timed vacation. Not necessarily the best time to go on vacation <laughs> right before fantasy baseball season uh, starts, but you know, it is what it is. You can't you can't pick and choose when your sister has a free hotel room in Puerto Rico, you know? That is fair. You said it, not me, by the way, Chris. Uh, just point that out. Yeah, one of my close buddies who I grew up with, actually best man in my wedding, uh, He, his family is from Puerto Rico. So I'm very entrenched in the culture, the food. It is fantastic. So, uh, Oh, the food is I, oh, amazing. Man. I've got to get out there one day. I, I'm, I'm like 40% mafonga at this point. <laughs> Uh, if anyone doesn't know what that is, just look it up and, and you'll you'll have a good laugh. Uh, Scotty, what's going on, man? Unintentional about steals. I don't know. Sneaky, sneaky you Scott. Know. You don't know? We did a little mock today. That's yeah. what he's referring to. Tell us about it. it. Was, uh, well, it was a mock, first of all. And I, it's funny. A few years ago, I remember we had this argument about what we do during mocks. You got so, you got like offended during yeah. this. I, I remember specifically like you were like, <gasps> How could you? Yeah. Uh, when, yeah. When Heath and I were saying that we would like use mock drafts to like try different things out and like, eh, let me see how this team, you were like, how could you do that? You're like, betraying the listener's trust. <laughs> That's only a slight exaggeration on yeah. the thing Scott was saying. Uh, yeah, no, I used to always uh, approach mocks like, 
you know, I'm going to try and build the best team I possibly can. And you guys revealed to me that you like to use it more as a laboratory to try different things out. And I feel like I've embraced that more this year than ever. And, uh, yeah, I had the first pick. So I wanted to try what life was like with Trey Turner because so uh, because I have Vladimir Guerrero ranked as my top, it used to be my number two player, but now that Fernando Tatis got pushed down, he's my number one player and, and that's higher than anyone else seems to have him. So I have a lot of Vladimir Guerrero in teams I've, in legitimate teams I put together, but I wanted to try life with Trey Turner, see how that goes. So that gave me a nice dose of steals right away. And look, when I say intentionally unintentional about steals, that doesn't mean you pass over good hitters who happen to steal bases also. True. That's, you know, I'm, I'm drafting Trey Turner because he's a great hitter. And oh, look, he gives me a lot of steals too. Isn't that a nice bonus? Uh, so that's part of it. And in round five, I drafted Byron Buxton. Is also not somebody I often have the pleasure of drafting. I believe my choice came down to him or um, look at who went right after him. And it was nobody I was considering. So I felt like, I guess like Corey Seager or somebody who went around and a half later. Uh, or Jose Altuve, I think was in the mix there as well. But I already had Trey Turner, right? Who I could slot at either shortstop or second base. So I didn't, I didn't know that I needed to prioritize middle infield there. So, I, okay, I'll shoot for the upside of Byron Buxton. Again, a really great hitter who also happens to steal bases. Uh, so this is a team where I don't think I'm going to struggle with steals. And, and look, I don't, I don't think you necessarily have to draft a bunch of big base stealers to have a respectable finish in the stolen base category. That's the whole point behind the zero SB strategy that I've been promoting. But between those two and Manny Machado, who should give me a dozen or so, Julio Rodriguez, who could give me 12 to 15, uh, I, I'm pretty well set for stolen bases in a way beyond what I normally am. And I'm pretty happy with the way the team came out. I don't know that I love picking first still, but it is nice to get steals from a first-round caliber hitter. I, I don't know that I'm going to move Trey Turner or Jose Ramirez ahead of Vladimir Guerrero based on this experience. I mean, Vladimir Guerrero gives you so much of everything that isn't stolen bases. It's, you know, I, I, I still think you can overdo it with the steals and, and pass up great stats elsewhere. But, uh, I mean, he was technically the number one player in this format last year. Mm-hmm. But it is nice to to get stolen bases early and not have to sweat it so much the rest of the draft. Yeah, and there are a ton of ways to build a Roto head-to-head category team uh, with steals and with Vladimir Guerrero. Uh, you know, second or third round, you can target guys like Whit Merrifield or Tim Anderson, later on Byron Buxton, who Scott drafted in this. So, you know, just keep that in mind. If you want to take Vlad early on in the first round, you could do it, and you could still come away with steals. So it's not like uh, that, com- that yep. category is completely dead if you draft no. Vladimir Guerrero. Well, and that's... You know, not to. I, I feel like it has been a while since we've talked about this, so I guess we can recover old, old ground. But uh, yeah, I mean that's the thing about stolen bases too, is because they are so scarce, you don't actually need that many. And you, on the other hand, you need a ton of home runs. You need to keep feeding the home run beast, or it's it's much easier to lose ground in that category than it is in stolen bases. Stolen bases, you can get like an instant 
fix, you know, because it only takes like 80 from your whole team or something to finish in the middle of the category. So that's... And it, it's kind of a similar idea to saves where, mm-hmm. you know, you can get that one guy who adds, you know, half of what your team's total would be to be middle of the pack. You know, you basically don't have to worry about it the rest of the time. And, and that that's... That's one way in which the the fact that those categories are getting more scarce actually, you know, not just makes those more the the high end players more valuable because they, you know, are one of the few guys who do it, but also just because you can you could draft. I mean, Alberto Mondesi would be the one extreme example, but even Trey Turner, you know, if he or Whit Merrifield, really, you know, someone who's been in contention to lead the league in steals multiple times the last few seasons. You can do that and just not really worry about it otherwise mm-hmm. and end up, you know, yeah. just kind of accidentally middle of the pack. Right. If you're not trying to win the category, you're just trying to, you know, not take a one point in the category, basically. Uh, that's very easy to do. And, and you know, I think a lot of times, a lot of times we're, we're so adamant about filling stolen bases that it ends up being it ends up robbing you in, in the other four categories, and that's a bad trade-off. Fair enough. Today on the podcast, by the way, we're not talking about this photo mock draft, but it was a good conversation to have anyway. If you want to see the results of that draft, you can find them on the website, cbssports.com slash fantasy slash baseball. We're going to take a look at round-by-round targets, players who will gain position eligibility this upcoming season. Uh, Bud Elliott, who hosts the Cover 3 podcast here at CBS Sports, he brought that up to me. We were talking earlier in the week, and he said, you know, I haven't heard this on any other podcast talking about players who will actually gain position eligibility. You know, we've done it sporadically, but we haven't done an actual segment on that. So we'll do that a little bit later on as well. Uh, but let's jump into our round-by-round targets. And it just feels weird to ask you guys who your favorite player is to draft in the first round because obviously you're just at the mercy of wherever you're drafting in the first round. So with that being said, Chris, where is your favorite spot to draft in the first round? And You know, you probably don't have the option, but if you did... Where would you want to draft? You know, I, I think it's probably either one of the first four picks or like eighth. Because I feel like there's a drop off between, you know, for me, Jose Ramirez is my number four player and Boba Bichette as my number five. And then if I'm picking eighth, I usually can just take Mike Trout every time. And honestly, if I pick 12th, I can usually take Mike Trout too. So, you know, anywhere between there, I'm, I'm fine with that because... You know, I I talked about this a couple weeks ago with one of the drafts that we did where I had Boba Shett. I picked sixth, I think, or fifth. And I ended up taking Boba Shett and and I kept thinking like it feels like like my team's just like missing a pick. And it's just because like while I do like Boba Shett as a first round pick, obviously, he's my number five overall player, it does feel like a little it feels like there's something missing when I take him fifth. And so for me it's more like I don't want to end up in the spot where I'm fifth. I think that's all I want. Does that make sense? It's more that like avoiding that kind of no man's land in the first round where I don't think there's any difference. I like I have in terms of auction values, I have Boba Shett and Shohei Otani fifth and ninth, and they're the same price for me. So it's kind of like I either want the last of the first tier or I don't want to be at the top of the second tier rather than like a specific spot in the draft where I do want to be. Yeah, I I think in a Roto or Categories League, Chris, 
I hear what you're saying about Boba Shed, but I, I feel fine about him. Even if I get him fifth overall yeah, in the draft. I guess my thing is I feel fine about him. Yeah. All right. You know, like I, I yeah. When I when I look at like my team overall, anytime I've ended up with him as my like lineup anchor, it just like it feels like I should have like a much stronger and maybe that's unfair because he's kind of like ninety five percent of Trey Turner everywhere. Yeah, I think it's because so I, it, it might be a psychological thing because it's his first yeah. time in the first round. So we're looking at him like, really, well, he, really does oh, he deserve I, it? I, I th- As like an I, actual hitter, he is well below the rest of the the guys. I mean, we're we, you know you're talking about he's like a, a low to mid eight hundreds OPS guy as opposed to yeah you know Mookie Betts consistently putting up nine hundred OPSs for most of his career. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I, I think what Chris is saying is he he. Boba Shett is fine, but he feels just as good about Mike Trout as Boba yes. Shett. And, and so why you're, you're giving up kind of three picks of value by picking. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's or like even like Kyle Tucker and Boba Shett. I don't think there's much difference there except for counting stats. I think, you know, Tucker, it looks like he's probably not going to bat at the top of the lineup again. I They didn't consult with me. So don't ask me why it looks like that. But <laughs> it does look like he's going to bat in the bottom half of the lineup, at least to start the season. Um but like I feel very, very similar about those two guys. And it's probably just like Bobachet probably gets five to ten more runs in RBI. You know? Scott, talk to me about your favorite spot to draft in the first round. Maybe how it might differ in a roto league versus a head to head points league. Uh well, okay. My favorite spot to draft, just generally speaking, it, it's it's about the same as Chris. We used to talk about a clear top five at the top, and and obviously Fernando Tatis went down, so now it's a top four with Turner, Soto, Guerrero, and Ramirez. And I think that's the same top four points or Roto. Uh, I I think maybe I have Garrett Cole ahead of Trey Turner in points. And obviously, the order of the top three is different. Juan Soto's number one in points leagues, while in Roto, um, you know, you, you might go for one of the base dealers instead. I have Vladimir Guerrero number one, but Soto would be a clear fourth for me in Roto, while he's a clear one in points. Uh, but I actually, even more than picking fourth, I prefer to pick near the back of round one, near the back of that second cluster of players. And I'm happy to take Trout or Harper or Otani even. Eh, I, I prefer Otani less because of the batting average issue in, in, in Roto. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm okay with that. What, what I hate about picking at the top of the first round is it pretty much means I'm not getting Salvador Perez. <laughs> player I want most. Which is what happened to you in, in this draft. Yeah, I mean, I could have taken him 37th overall. or No, no, not 25th. 25th overall. 25th, 25th. overall. Yeah. That's uh, early. The first, pick of, the first pick of round three. I, I knew I wasn't going to get him at the end of round four, right? Mm-hmm. And I thought about it. I thought <laughs> long and hard about it. I ended up taking... Uh, who did I end up taking instead? Uh, I know I Ma- Machado. I think Machado and Bieber were your picks there. Yeah, so I was between Bieber and Salvador Perez for me. And um, I think if it was a real draft, I might have taken Perez instead of Bieber, honestly. But I didn't. I didn't. I, I, I preferred to test something other than drafting Perez there. So that's what I did. Anyway, uh, much more likely I'm going to get Salvador Perez if I pick in the back half of round one, because then at this point, I'm probably taking him late in round three. I'm not going to risk him being there for me early in round four. So that's something to think about too. It's not always about just 
the player you're taking in round one. I mean, that's one pick. I also prefer to pick toward the middle of a round than closer to one end or the other, just because you get it, it's it's harder to anticipate what's going to come back to you with that next pick. It's harder to do the tiers approach because a whole tier of players can be wiped out if you have to wait 20 spots between each of your picks. And that just drives me crazy. I end up reaching or getting shut out too often when I pick at the ends. Uh, So I prefer to pick toward the middle. So I think like eighth or ninth, ideally, is where I'm looking to take this year. All right. Yeah, you could be susceptible to those runs if there's a closer run that happens or Mm -hmm. a bunch of steals or even like a catcher run, something like that. It could be positional or it could be, you know, a categorical run that happens in your draft if you're drafting on one end. And then, of course, you know, what's going to what's going to make it back to you uh, on the way back? I think in a categories league, I want to be one of the top three or four. I think if I can get Trey Turner or Jose Ramirez or even Bo Bichette. Awesome. Uh, In a points league, I I think kind of like the 8 to 10, you know, maybe like 6 to 10 range. I would love to get Garrett Cole if I can in a points league, but if not, you know, any of Trout, Harper, those guys are awesome in points leagues. And then you have an earlier second round pick and you can hopefully get an ace there as well. So, And I'll say in points leagues, I do think the the drop off in value is perhaps a little less pronounced at the top. Um, yeah, I agree. So, I, you know, that that's where having that top four pick is not necessarily as much because like Bryce Harper walks so much. Garrett Cole, the volume that he can give you as a starting pitcher. We've seen him have that 700-point season. Boba Shett, the counting stats. Mookie Betts is just awesome all around with play discipline as well. Mike Trout, Mike Trout yeah, very might, well. If, I mean, If he stays healthy, he's probably the number one player at points. Yeah, I, like mean, the, I don't feel this confident about that in Roto. This is the thing I keep like coming back to with Mike Trout every time I write about him uh, or talk about him is like, I think most people would say Juan Soto is the best hitter in baseball right now, but it's worth remembering like Mike Trout is Juan Soto, but with like a 50 homer pace over the last four seasons. Like I I almost feel like how good of of a, just a hitter Mike Trout is at this point in his career is almost just a teeny tiny bit overlooked. He it's, He's still pretty ridiculous. Just stay on the field, Trout. Come on, man. We need you. All right, let's get into round-by-round targets. That was a whole you know diatribe on the first round. Let's talk about the second round. Picks 13 through 24. We're using Fantasy Pros ADP, which is a culmination of ESPN, CBS, Yahoo, NFBC, all the different ADP sources. And we will start with Scott. Picks 13 to 24, your favorite player to target in round two. My favorite player to target in round two is probably Rafael Devers to the point that I've I've moved him up into my round one. I believe I have him like 11th or 12th, depending on the format. So if I can get him in round two, uh, obviously I'm thrilled with that. I'd like to secure third base early with a hitter I can trust. And I think Devers is definitely that. And that way I don't have to wonder about Austin Riley or, or Nolan Arenado. Some hitters who, you know, very likely will put up good numbers, but we have more questions about them and they probably go around earlier than they should just because of the state of third base. And I don't think that's happening with Rafael Devers. So I, I would say he's my favorite to draft in round two. All right, Chris round two, who's your favorite? Uh, I'll go the, not quite the exact opposite way, but Manny Machado is my favorite player in round two. Mostly because I don't think there's much of a difference between him and Rafael Devers. And Rafael Devers' price just keeps getting pushed up. Some people keep moving him into their first round. Uh, (laughs) And uh, Machado's just sitting there still at the back half of the second round. Um, 22.8 
overall in fantasy pros ADP as the number 22 player, I've got him at number 14 in Roto leagues. And it's because, you know, if you look at what he produced is very similar to Rafael Devers, the overall power number is not quite there, but the underlying numbers really, really comparable to what Rafael Devers did. Manny Machado the last two seasons and really three out of the last four, the one exception being that 2019 season where he just wasn't as good. The the underlying numbers especially are extremely strong for Manny Machado. So, you know, he's a an above average or below average strikeout rate guy, makes a ton of contact and is making a ton of hard contact. I've come back around on Manny Machado. I was kind of out on him uh, going into 2020, but I'm, I'm pretty much all in. I think he's actually among the first round or the first two round hitters, probably the most undervalued in my eyes. Yeah. Plus he's going to help a little in steals when. Right. Right. That's like, I think the, the other four categories are going to be pretty similar between him and Rafael Devers, but I think Machado Mm -hmm. will probably steal six to eight more bases. So I, when my initial rankings came out in October, I actually had Machado, or at least I came very close to putting Machado ahead of Devers for a lot of the reasons you gave. And, um, you know, I guess the harder I look at Devers, the more I like him. And and part of it is because you just look at the combined number of runs in RBI he yeah. had last year. <laughs> well, and, and Machado's I, I guess, lineup context looks a little worse with touches right. out, although yeah. the addition of Luke Voigt, mm-hmm. you know, helps in that regard. And obviously yeah. story added to the Red Sox lineup makes that better. So I can oh, that's yeah. that's I think the biggest key is like runs plus RBI, but those are fluctuate out for reasons outside of a player's control, or at least outside of what we would be able to project that, you know, Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I, the, the stolen bases for Machado are enough for, for me to give him an edge. Yeah. There is a lot of variance year over year in counting stats, but it's just hard to see how Devers numbers. If he stays healthy, how they really take a step back. Right. I mean, again, adding Trevor story to that lineup is as good as they were. I, I do worry with Machado just a little bit, that they don't have Jace Tingler as their manager anymore, and, and under Jace Tingler, they were very, very aggressive yeah. on the base paths. So again, and we've talked about this. Like he could very likely go from you know twelve yeah. steals to five or six, and it wouldn't really surprise and Machado's anybody. Sprint speed was low last year. Sure. I do wonder if like does that necessarily reflect how fast Manny Machado actually is when he's fully going? You know, I. I don't criticize Manny Machado for his uh, apparent lack of hustle, but I think it's smart. Like, I think choosing your spots is smart. I don't think you have to try to leg out every ground ball just because Pete Rose used to do it. Like, you're going to get thrown out most of the time. You might get one extra hit per season, but if it increases your risk, chance of risk of injury, it's not really worth it. But yeah, that's the stolen bases is the one part where it's like, I wish I felt more comfortable in Machado being like a 10 to 15 steal guy. The second round for me, the player that I like to target most specifically in category leagues, Luis Robert. And I've talked about him a lot this offseason. He's 24 years old, seemingly entering the prime of his career. And he just improved in every possible way that you wanted to see him do from the shortened 2020 season to last year. He did only play 68 games last season because of a hip flexor in injury, but he lowered the strikeouts tremendously. Lots of line drives. He crushed a ball. He has power and speed. He's part of a really strong White Sox lineup. Would not surprise me if we're talking about Luis Robert as a mid first round pick next year. Can he hit 280 with 30 homers and 20 seals? I think it's definitely possible for Luis Robert. So I'm very excited to draft him. And, you know, maybe in a points league, you lower him a little bit. I think, you know, maybe the strikeouts come back, uh, 
you know, maybe they, they come back up a little bit this season. So you devalue him just a tad. Maybe it's like an early third round pick in a points league, but I do love drafting Luis Robert this season. A third round target. Chris, we'll start with you this time. Who you got? Yeah, so I'm, I'm writing a piece like this for CBSSports.com that should be up on Wednesday morning. And um, I did it based on an FC ADP since the start of March. Trevor Story is a third round pick. So I will, I'm using him for the article for this, for the purposes of this, we're using Fantasy Pros ADP. And I think I actually would go with Marcus Simeon, which is hmm. shocking because I was all prepared to be out on Marcus Simeon and, you know, not really want to draft him. But I find myself ending up with him a decent amount in the the drafts we do. I think I took him in the Roto mock we did today. And it's just because I didn't expect people to be as out on him or not out. I mean, he's a third rounder. He's 31.4 in ADP, but it just, it kind of feels like people are not all that interested in actually taking him where he's going. And I get it. I think there are reasons to be skeptical about what he did last season in particular. He's not going to hit 48 home runs there, 47 home runs again. Uh, 45. That's what happens when I just try to guess rather than actually just look at the page in front of me. 45 home runs again. Um, but like he's been awesome two of the past three seasons. Yes, there's this big uh, dip in the quality of lineup that he's in. And I think the park is probably worse. But I just, I still think that stuff's being overrated. And when you look at like the overall package of who he is as a player, like his quality of contact numbers don't look elite. But he's so pull heavy. He hits the ball in the air enough. I just like I do think he's a pretty good bet for 30 homers, double digit steals, good runs in RBI, because the top of that lineup at least should be pretty solid. I just kind of feel like he's someone that I didn't think I was going to end up with. And I'm drafting more and more than I expected. Um, so that's uh that's what I would go with there. You know, you you bring up a good point about the part shift, the lineup shift, those end up being the points that are stressed when making the case, the bust case for Marcus Simeon. But the, the biggest red flag for Marcus Simeon isn't so much that. It's that for all but two years in his career, he's been fringy in fantasy. He's been borderline rosterable, except in 2019 and except in 2021, when he was MVP level both of those mm-hmm. years. So I feel like maybe that's gotten lost in the um, in making the case for Marcus Simeon because I, I guess the way I interpret it is as was, okay, there's reason enough to be skeptical about what he did last year just because of his track record. Mm-hmm. And then when you add these other factors to it, well, okay, mm-hmm. like we got to be careful with Marcus Simeon. I'm not totally opposed to drafting. There, there have been a couple times when he's lasted to like round five, and it's like, all right, give me Marcus Simeon. But yeah, in round three, it's still there's still too much else there that I like. All right, Scott, talking a big game. There's a lot that you like. Who's your favorite in the third I mean, round? It's, it's obviously Salvador Perez. What's <laughs> funny is his uh, combined ADP here is 29th. I think maybe I've done one draft where he's went as early as 29th, so I don't know mm. how that's happening. And I guess maybe drafters, just regular drafters, are, are even higher on Salvador Perez than than like industry folks who I'm drafting against are. Um, so you know, obviously, I passed on taking him 25th overall, as we talked about at the start of the show. But in the back half of round three, that's automatic for me. I don't care 
how, what my first two picks were. I don't care who's off the board in any other position. Salvador Perez is there in the back of round three. I'm taking him because I think that's the biggest advantage you can get at any position is that guy right there. And I, I, I feel like maybe this gets lost in the analysis of Salvador Perez is it wasn't like a one-off for him. He was far and away the best catcher in 2020 as well. We just wrote it off because it was 2020, mm-hmm. right? But two years in a row now where he's been just on a different level from every other catcher. Yeah, I got him with the ninth pick of the third round in a 15-team league that I did yesterday, a Roto League, two-catcher. So yeah, I'm ending up with him, with Salvador Perez, and a ton of the drafts that I'm not doing with Scott. And Even in the ones I'm doing with Scott, I feel like I'm ending up with him a decent amount. Um, I know. He's, because, yeah, I know. I, do, I, I agree with a lot of what you're saying. I was skeptical about him last season, but the the edge that particularly him and Will Smith and potentially Dalton Varsho can give you at the catcher position, I think is just super valuable. It's part of why, you know, if we were doing the players you don't like drafting from each round, JT Romuto would be my pick for where he's going just because I think he's getting kind of pushed up along with those other two guys in a way that I'm not sure his overall production actually justifies anymore. But yeah, no, I, I'm... I really like Salvador Perez at this point, just from what what it means for your team as you're drafting. All right, third round for me. I think I cheated a little bit on this one because Sandy. Sandy Alcantara is the 37th player off the board, but I'm taking him in the third round, even though in this mock draft that we just did, I passed on him in the third round because I thought he would make it to me in the fourth, but he didn't. So maybe I'm a liar. Anyway, I do like Sandy Alcantara quite a bit, and last year he was one of four pitchers with 200-plus innings pitched, so he is a workhorse. He's going to go deep into his starts. Hopefully Miami could score some runs for him this season, and I think that there is more upside in the strikeout department than people are giving him credit for. 13.3% swinging strike rate for Sandy last year. That was ninth among qualified starting pitchers. Over his final 13 starts, that number went up to 15% swinging strike rate, where Sandy made a pitch mix change. Slider usage went up during that time. His fastball velo was up last year. He's just progressing overall as a pitcher. He gets a lot of ground balls. He's come a long way in terms of his control as well. I'm there. I know he's like a divisive player. Some like people are either in or out. I am someone who is in on Sandy Alcantara. Let's go into the fourth round. These are players going between picks 37 and 48. Scott, kick us off. Your fourth round target. Well, first of all, I just want to say if Zach Wheeler makes it to round four here, that's pretty much automatic for me as well. I, I think there, I, I have virtually no concerns about his shoulder at this point with him back to ramping up again. Uh, but among those who actually go in this range, favorite to draft. I mean, the one I draft most often is probably Austin Riley because if I haven't locked up third base yet, I'm starting to get a little worried about how that's going to look. So it's probably him, and I I think he's 90%. I think he's at least 90% of what he was last year. I have the most questions about the batting average of, of looking at his whole stat line. He hit over 300. I think realistically he's more like a 280 hitter. But I know you guys have, have like uh, concerns about bottom-out potential for Austin Riley, and I'm not really there with him. If we're, being, if we're talking strictly favorites, I know I'm naming three names here. <laughs> Who I would prefer to take in this range is Pete Alonzo. Get the get the 40 homers. You know, I don't want to sell homers short this year. Uh, there's, there's a lot of first basemen I like later, so, you know, I end up passing over Pete Alonzo a lot in this range. But 
optimally, he would be the guy I'd take here. And, you know, we we talked earlier about how, you know, maybe a couple of weeks ago, how him and Matt Olson's prices were kind of coming together. That was an eighth NFC drafts. In Fantasy Pro's ADP, that's not the case at all. Matt Olson's ADP is 25th, 26.2. Uh, Pete Alonzo is 45th at 46.2. That's a massive gap, and it makes Pete Alonzo look that much better or Matt Olson look that much worse. Although I don't necessarily think it's a terrible place for Matt Olson to be picked. It's just earlier than I would want to, especially when I think there's such a comparable player in Pete Olson. You know, Pete Alonzo. Available. <laughs> Pete, so, Alonzo yeah. Pete, Pete Alonzo. You, you merge them into one player. That's how alike they are. Yeah it's, yeah, it's the same case that we made last year when Pete Alonso was going in the third round and Matt Olson was going however many picks later, like 30 like or 40 picks later. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, it's not, the, the, the gap is not as far this season, but, you know, if you can wait two rounds and get a, a very comparable player in Pete Alonso, it's yeah. something that I'd much rather do as well. Chris, the fourth round, I think you've got a few options here. I know you like Alonso as well. You mentioned someone earlier. Where are you going? Yeah, it's got to be Trevor Story. And, you know, I, I think... With him settling in Boston, I would expect that the price is probably going to be in, even higher than that. I think in NFC drafts since uh, May, March 21st, from March 21st through March 28th, he's at 32.1. So, you know, solid third rounder. And I think that's where he belongs. It's not quite as good as it would have been if he had ended up going back to Colorado, but Fenway's a great landing spot. It's a great park. It's the second best place he could have signed if he was, you know, if. Coors was on the table. It's the best if he was never going to back to Coors. So I think his price is going to be higher than a fourth round pick for the for the remaining uh, eight days of drafts. Normally, I'm saying these words to Scott, but Chris, I'm with you. I like Trevor's story quite a bit. And man, this position is so loaded because in the mock we just did on Tuesday night, I took Tim Anderson in the third, but then I think I saw Trevor's story in the fourth and I'm like, Man, I really want Trevor Story. And then Lindor was there and I think the sixth round. And I was like, I really Fifth want round. Lindor. Fifth round. I, I was about <sighs> ready to take Lindor. This draft would have been totally topsy turvy <laughs> if that happened. Yeah, yeah. now Trevor Story went 37th overall in, gotcha. in this mark right. we just did. First pick of round four. So he was I was looking at him as well as Tim Anderson in the third round. And uh there's a lot to like. It's again, this the shortstop position is absolutely loaded. Fourth round for me. Um Lucas Giolito is someone that I've come around on more recently where if I miss out on Sandy, if I don't get a starting pitcher in the first three rounds, I like Lucas Giolito. I was looking more into him. So among qualified starting pitchers over the past three seasons, so since the start of 2019, 3.47 ERA, that's 10th best, 108 whip, that is 6th best, a 15.5% swinging strike rate for Giolito, that's 4th best. I don't think that he really needs to get better. I mean, he's he's been really, really good already. You know, mid threes, ERA, strong whip, lots of strikeouts. He plays on a good team, should get a lot of wins as well. Uh, goes pretty deep into his starts. You know, I think the next step is can he get to 200 innings? I, I don't know if that will actually happen, but I don't think he needs to. I think he's a perfectly fine fallback option as an SP1 if, if you don't draft a starting pitcher in the first three rounds. Let's move into the fifth round. And I'm going to start us off here because I just mentioned my guy, Francisco Lindor, who, by the way, hit another home run on Tuesday yeah, night. And all, all of a sudden, he's tied for the league lead. Spring training home runs with four now. He's, he's looked pretty good thus far. I believe he, he leads all spring hitters in barrels as well, which, mm. you know, there's only like 40% of the parks that actually have stack has data. So who knows where he actually ranks, but <laughs> he's hitting the ball well. He is doing exactly that. And that is what we need to see. Uh, something that he's picked up 
since September, where you know he he turned it back on. 257 in that final month, nine homers, 895 OPS, a 13% barrel rate, 92 mile per hour average exit velocity. He looked a lot like the player you know we saw in years past. So uh, I've made this comp before. A poor man's Jose Ramirez. I think he can hit 25 plus homers, 15 steals, really strong counting stats in the Mets lineup. You know, first year in a new location. Big city, you know, obviously lots of expectations with the New York Mets. I just think he's going to bounce back. And I think the the hate has gone too far the other way for Francisco Lindor. So fifth round, I am all in there. Chris, who you got in the fifth round? Yeah, so if we're going by Fantasy Pros ADP, I, I really like Byron Buxton and Kevin Gosman and George Springer, who are going <laughs> consecutively. Um, yeah. So I'm going to pull a Scott here and just list a quarter of all the players being drafted in this range. Um by NFC ADP, Buxton is a fourth rounder. Gosman is a sixth rounder. So I was able to write about all three of those guys in my uh, piece. Um, but I'll focus on, eh, you don't need me to tell you why I like Byron Buxton. He's amazing over the past, even if you don't believe what he did last season was real when he had 1,005 OPS. Over the past five, three seasons, his 162 game pace is 277 average, 36 homers, 91 runs, 101 RBI, 22 steals. If that's not a first rounder, it's a top 15 pick at worst. So I, I think the there's top five overall potential there for Byron Buxton. Gosman is a player that I think is getting, I don't understand. There seems to be a lot of skepticism around Kevin Gosman. Like I had him and Robbie Ray kind of grouped in my mind and I do have Robbie Ray ranked higher, but there's been like a two round gap in ADP, if not more, um, at least in NFC ADP. And I don't quite get it. I think Kevin Gosman... Look, I, I, he was never going to be the one seven three ERA guy that he was pre All Star break last season, and that was always going to be an unreasonable expectation. But he basically just had a really, really bad July, and that was really all that went wrong for him in the second half of last season. He had a two nine seven FIP from August first on, three seven zero ERA, twenty eight percent strikeout rate. There's not really anything with. Uh, you know, with the sticky substance crackdown with Kevin Gosman, that that looks suspicious. He was actually, June was arguably his best month in the immediate aftermath of that. So I don't really, I don't quite understand why there seems to be so much apparent skepticism around Gosman relative to other kind of one-year wonder guys. And he's not really a one-year wonder. He was awesome in 2020 too. So I'm in on Gosman. My kind of ideal start at starting pitcher would be like Max Scherzer in the second round and Kevin Gosman in the sixth, if I can swing it. And it's pretty realistic. So I like Kevin Gosman in the fifth or the sixth round. All right, Scotty fifth round. These are picks 49 through 60 in a 12 team league. So I'll go with the one Chris didn't get into then <laughs> George Springer. Uh, he played 78 games last year. So roughly half a season. A little less than half a season technically, but you don't expect him to play every day, even if he does stay healthy. So let's say he played half a season last year. He doubled his numbers, 44 home runs, 118 runs scored, 100 RBI, and even eight steals for good measure. I mean, he's basically, if you're, if you're just talking the five-by-five five categories, he's basically Shohei Otani, but with fewer steals. And if you're talking about points leagues, he might be even better than Shohei Otani if he stays healthy, but I have more, you know, I have more hope for him than Byron Buxton, for instance, staying healthy. I think Buxton has 
more upside between the two, but maybe Springer's a little more realistic that he achieves that upside. As the leadoff hitter for this Blue Jays lineup that we all love, Springer's my favorite. I I don't know if if it's kind of like Mike Trout, where I don't know if like the the leap that Springer has made as a power hitter is an, appreciated enough. Over the past three seasons, so since the start of 20, 2019, he's played 251 games, he's hit 75 homers. That's a 48 homer per 162 game pace. He's not going to play 162 games, obviously, but he has been an elite power hitter the past three seasons. There's been a marked jump in his production in that time. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I'd rather have... Would you rather have Judge in round three or Springer two rounds later? And for me, it's obviously Springer. I might just have Springer ranked higher at this point. Uh, I do. Yep. Oof. The love for George Springer. Springer Springer's my number 24 player. I'm, I am way higher on George Springer than everyone. He's going to be on pretty much all of my teams. Hey, it he all makes around three tonight. Yeah, <laughs> it all makes yeah. sense to me. I, I like George Springer as well. Let's take a little break from the round by round targets here. I uh, just wanted to quickly mention we had a mix up in our head to head points listener league. So now Elliot Freeman is joining the league and that will be drafting. If you're listening to this podcast uh, later on today, if you want to watch us live, that will be on Wednesday, 9 p.m. Eastern time here on the YouTube channel. So please join us. And we'll have some fun there. Uh, Jen from Arkansas won our hoodie giveaway. Thanks again to all of our subscribers. It's really an awesome milestone for us to hit 10K uh, YouTube subs. So uh, thanks again to everybody there. And shout out to Jen for uh, winning our hoodie giveaway. And our last mailbag of the offseason is coming up this Saturday. So if you have a question, send it in to fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Put mailbag in the subject line or leave a five-star rating on Apple and drop a question in the review. And we will get to as many as we can in an hour later on this week. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we return, news and notes here, Fantasy Baseball Today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, so let's quickly hit some news and notes. Chris Sale, who is dealing with a stress fracture in his rib, is feeling much better and will start throwing early next week. Scott, are we moving Chris Sale back up the rankings? I saw you tweeting about him earlier on Tuesday. Yeah, I I feel like I overdid it in moving him down because I I was thinking mid-June and now I'm feeling like mid-May is what we're talking about here for his return. So I would... Probably move him. Let me see if I can find the sheet from tonight. 
into that range just a little after like Chris Bassett and Ranger Suarez, kind of kind of sort of where Adam Wainwright is going. I think I'd have him just after Wainwright because we know I'm high on Wainwright. So that's that's where I'm thinking the right range is for Chris Sale. All right. Yeah. So I've got him at SP40, which is is basically right around there. So I think we're probably going to wind up uh, around the same spot there in the ranks. Not only has Dave Roberts said Blake Trinan will have a versatile role in the bullpen, but Trinan him, himself said that he actually prefers that over being the closer. Uh, I think it's looking more and more likely that Daniel Hudson and Bruce Dargratterall could wind up with save opportunities here for the Los Angeles Dodgers. So keep that in mind if you were getting... Uh, uh, Excited about Blake Trinan. I, I kind of chant like, here's the full quote. Can I read the full quote? Sure. I know we're, I kind of enjoy my current role more than closing, to be honest with you. I enjoy both. When I was in the ninth, it's a really fun feeling being the last one on the field when you get the last out. That's a fun thing, knowing the game comes down to you. But you don't always face the biggest situations in the ninth inning. Like, I feel like, does does that quote make it clear what he really prefers? Like, well, I would also like an say aggregation it. error where everybody's just like, Blake Trinan prefers not closing. At least it sounds like he's really happy closing, too. I think he likes both, but, you know, if... <laughs> it, look, again, I think it just comes down to what will be the biggest moment in the game, and that's probably where they want to use Blake Trinan. Right, but I think the thing to keep in mind with all these is, like, nobody gets 100% of the save opportunities. Sure. Um, but I think it could, so, be more, it could be more split this year with the Dodgers than, you know, we've seen for the past decade with Kenley it's Jansen. It's not going to be Kenley Jansen's role. You know, sure. it's not going to be like Kenley Jansen just is exclusively the ninth inning. I don't think it's going to be that. But I don't know. If Blake Trinan's healthy and he's good, uh, it's hard to see a scenario where he's getting 40% of the save chances. You know, like that's just typically not how it works. The, the highest leverage situation is not always the ninth inning, but a lot of the times it is. So I still think yeah, he's still going to get a lot of saves, and I, I think there's probably a buying opportunity now in the next few days of drafts. Ultimately, I think, because I'm sure you have a note here about the Giants' closer situation, I think comments made by players and managers are being treated with a lot more certainty just overall than they should be. Because there's I, so I, I think, little certainty. Right, right. I think things evolve, and they can sometimes evolve very quickly. And we only we only have hints as to how they're going to start out, not where they're going to end up. And also, a third of what we assume the closer situations are on opening day will be different. Is it too After much to say? Weeks. Is it too much to say two weeks into the season? Two weeks? Okay. I a mean, because third, third after two weeks will because be there's different. just so well because there's so much we don't even know. And it's there's possible. so much where it's like, oh well, we think we we think they prefer this guy, but if one if if uh, you know Dylan Floro goes out and has like two bad outings in a row to start the season, that could just mean that he just doesn't get a save chance for like six weeks. Yeah, if if someone else pits, so it's like it, our third of the I don't know if that necessarily like that. applies to like Blake Trinan, mm -hmm. but I also think if Blake Trinan's good. He's probably just going to, he's more likely than anyone else to get the first save. I, and, and I'm not trying to go the other way and say, well, Blake Trinan's obviously the Dodgers closer. Yeah. I, I think there's reason for doubt. I'm, I'm moving Blake Trinan down a little bit with this. A little news, bit, yeah. But I'm not moving Daniel Hudson up ahead of Blake Trinan with this yeah. news. Oh, yeah. There's only, no, that's, that's a very fair point. Like, out of all this, it, let's say the Dodgers get. 35 saves as a team this year, Blake Trinan very well could wind up with 20 of them with elite ratios and a lot of strikeouts. And that would still make him a very valuable player. 
But, you know, as a result, in deeper leagues, you know, maybe Daniel Hudson gets a dozen of those or, or 10 of them, and Bruce Ark Gratterall mm-hmm. gets five of them. So but, that's what the I, division could look like. But I'm also saying it's still a very plausible scenario that Blake Trinan gets like 34 saves this yeah. year. Like, I don't, I don't want to discount that possibility either. All right. Well, I mean, Jake McGee ended up with, what, 34 or something like that last year? Well, yeah, so that what was so interesting about the Giants last year is they just had so many save opportunities. I, I believe they led baseball in, in saves and save opportunities last year. So the 31 saves that McGee has, they were great, but they were still just, I think it was like 70 or 75% of the Giants' saves. So they, they just yeah. had a lot to go around. Um, it was 58, well, actually, 58%. But, but even, that, even that gets mischaracterized because... Like McGee lost his job for a while. He lost his job from like I think it was late April to early June or something. Mm-hmm. Tyler Rogers was the go-to in the ninth instead. So it, it wasn't it wasn't him consistently losing safe chances over the course of the years. The Dodge the Giants more or less change closers for like a fifth of the season. And that's part of the reason why there was this distribution of saves between the Giants relievers. It's you know, there's there's a lot you could dig into here, but the point is you you shouldn't feel that certain about anything you're hearing. And I, I think it's especially, I mean, should we talk about what Gabe Kapler said? Yeah, let's actually, especially, let's especially actually re- coming out of his mouth. Let's actually reveal the quote here. So Gabe Kapler did a radio interview with KNBR and he said, quote, right now, if we were starting on opening day, Jake McGee would be our closer. For reference, the ADP right now does not reflect that. Camilo Duvall is going at pick 172.6. Jake McGee at 255.4. Now, I agree, Scott. I don't think that we have to absolutely treat this like it's definitely the case. Like, this is definitely how things are now, and that's how it's going to remain the rest of the season. But the other side of that, I think we would also be foolish not to react to it. Like, I think instead of these guys going 80 picks apart, maybe they just kind of close the gap on each other and they both go around, like, pick 200 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a little less comfortable drafting Camilo Duvall now. I'm, I'm yeah. moving him down. I'm not moving Jake McGee ahead of him. And, okay. you know, the next, I don't have the exact quote pulled up, but. <laughs> Lots of quotes. Like Gabe Kapler doesn't stop talking. He keeps <laughs> talking and he talks about how they're, you know, they have three options that they could use for saves. Like, it, and, and I, it's worth reminding everyone too, that on a, a radio interview last year, they got him to talk about how Tyler Rogers is going to be the closer for the Giants at, at about the same time last year. And obviously that didn't pan out except for that that short stretch of time when he uh, replaced McGee. I mean, the, the main thing is, the if the Giants do have three options that they more or less trust for saves, only one of them is a left-hander, and it's McGee. And like if, if Freddie Freeman and Max Muncie are due up in the eighth, they're not saving McGee for the ninth, you know? Sure. Like there's... They're, like when there's two right-handers versus one left-hander, who does it, and you want to save one for the ninth inning? Doesn't it make sense to save one of the right-handers? Like I, I that's I'm typically not sure. how it works, and that's I'm that's something sure that we've seen with like the Twins with Taylor Rogers, where like he doesn't even when he's been the closer, he doesn't necessarily get as many saves as you would think a traditional closer does because he gets used in different situations more often, but. When when Camilo Duvall's ADP was in like the 130 to 150 range, which is where it's been for a lot of this draft season and NFC drafts especially, there was way too much confidence that he's actually really good. And like given the uncertainty of the role 
the fact that he was being drafted where he has been is putting an awful lot of weight on those 27 innings last season at the major league level where he looked really like the stuff is undeniable. He's got a filthy slider. He throws 100 miles an hour. But this is a guy who's walked 13% of batters he's faced as a professional. He had a seven walks per nine last year in AAA. Like he had a 499 ERA. And okay, it's the former Pacific Coast League. It's AAA West. Um, I think AAA or Pacific Coast League name is coming back. Uh, But like he also just might not be this shutdown reliever. All right, Scott. So you're still taking Duvall ahead of McGee. Yeah, but I, I'm lowering Duvall. I'm I'm lowering Duvall more than I'm elevating McGee. Okay, but I, I think ultimately I'd still rather have Duvall than McGee. Chris, say you're at pick two hundred. You have to take one. Which one are you taking, Duvall or J- Jake McGee? McGee. All right, one more reliever update for you. I missed this on yesterday's podcast. Pete Fairbanks will be shut down from throwing for the next six weeks with a lat injury. I don't really care much about Pete Fairbanks. His value, at least. I care about him. He's probably a nice guy. But it does give you more confidence when drafting Andrew Kittredge for the Tampa Bay Rays. So, uh, Scott, would you take Kittredge or one of the Giants' closers? Kittredge. Kittredge. Uh, I think think Duvall was already gone when I took Kittredge in tonight's draft, but McGee hadn't. But yeah, I would have taken Kittredge. Part of it now is, and I know the Rays have been as committed to the committee as any team over the past few years, but like, who else is really capable of closing for them right now. I don't, I don't see anyone. So, and they did have that stretch a couple years ago where Emilio Pagan basically secured the role down the stretch. So they, they've shown a willingness to do it when it made sense. Look at the first two or three months of last season, Scott. Diego Castillo was the guy. He, he okay, was just yeah. the guy. So I, I, I'm starting to lean that way as well. I'm, I'm pretty optimistic yeah. about Andrew Kittredge. If you haven't realized by now, we're not going to get to the rest of our round-by-round targets. So we're going to save that for Thursday night's podcast. We'll talk about like the players we love, players we're scared of. We're going to do all that fun stuff Thursday to set you off into the weekend. And you have all your drafts coming up. Shane McClanahan will be the opening day starter for the Orioles. Just wanted to mention, he's my man. Luis Severino has been slowed by a sore arm and will not make his scheduled start on Wednesday. Instead, he will start on Saturday. And that might explain why his fastball velocity was 95 miles per hour in his second start compared to 97 miles per hour in his first start. So this is pretty rough. Hopefully just some of that dead arm that we always hear about where it's just like, oh, it just wasn't there. And then like three days later, they're fine. But yeah, you can't. I hope so. You got to drop him. You know, he was in like the 150 to 200 range before this. You know, after 200, there's still very little risk. So I don't mind taking the... The flyer him, especially in points leagues, which are so shallow, and he's got that spark eligibility that like he still should be drafted in that format. But yeah, it's 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 a bit of cold water for sure. You, you know what? And, and and Mike Clevenger got shelled in his first uh, official start, like shelled. It was eight earned runs, eight earned runs over one and two thirds innings. So between Severino, Clevenger, and Cindergard, his velocity's down a little bit. Like there are. I don't think you should feel super confident about any in, in that Tommy John trio. I mean, Justin Verlander, he's looking great. He was the one we were least concerned about all along. But those other three, I'm not saying they're going to be bad. Maybe they bounce back fine. But I'm I'm not as confident taking them now as I was before spring training started. As expected, the Pirates optioned O'Neill Cruz to AAA. He was 5 for 15 this spring with two mammoth home runs. My guess is that we'll see him sometime late April, early May. What do you think, Scott? Yeah, I think it'll be very soon. 
I think they wanted to get some experience in the outfield and, you know, he only played six games at AAA. So it's it only be like, aggressive. It would be aggressive putting him on the major league roster. And he, he only played like 60 games at double A, right? It was, it, it wasn't a huge sample size either. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the frustrating thing is like, there's no clear deadline or like, you know, there's no clear timetable of what, where, where the incentives line up now for O'Neill Cruz to get called up. So it's like, my guess is late April, but I'm not the Pirates, so I don't know. Like it could that, be late June. That's, yeah. Yeah. We, we it's, held it's, on to Kelnick and Walter Franco forever last season. Yeah. But no, I absolutely still think you should be drafting him and, and holding him. I mentioned this on Monday, but Chris, I want to mention it again now that you're here, how dominant Edward Cabrera was in his spring debut for the Marlins, and he revealed after the start that he's been working on a new sinker. He said, quote, it's something that I'm applying to the game. I'm throwing a 98-mile-per-hour sinker. It's something that I want to surprise some of the batters with, an 88-mile-per-hour slider. So he's got both of those things going on, especially if it's breaking like it was today. I can apply it and have some success here. So the velo was there. The slider looked fantastic on Monday as well. Chris, I mean, the, the question is, where does Edward Cabrera fit in here un, unless the Marlins choose to go six-man rotation? Yeah, I don't think he's going to be in the opening day rotation. Okay. Um, it's entirely possible that they could go six-man six rotation. They've got a ton of young guys whose innings you know, could use preserving, but you know, he, he also made his spring debut on Monday, so he's a week behind everyone else as well. So I wouldn't expect him to be out there, but yeah, he's super talented. He's a top 40 overall prospect, and the issue for him last season was the fastball. His fastball got crushed. He's got a really good changeup. The slider is, you know, the third pitch. But if the sinker can give him another look that, you know, he can throw low in the zone and generate a little bit of weak contact with, you know, maybe that's that'll help him break out. But he's super talented. So I uh, definitely one of the late round sleepers that I've stashed in a, in a bunch of the deeper leagues I'm in. And Alec Manoa just kind of did the same thing last year. He didn't necessarily have a traditional third pitch. He was four-seam, sinker, and slider, and it worked for him. So if you throw that hard, it's something that might work for Edward Cabrera as well. Joe Madden confirmed David Fletcher will begin the season as the Angels' starting shortstop, which is good news for Chris's Roto salary cap draft, which we did last week. Brandon Belt is expected to be ready for opening day as he battles knee inflammation. Michael Pineda will miss his first start or two due to visa issues. Tony Santian has been told that he will start the season in the Reds' bullpen. And I think that just about does it, Scott. I don't know who else they might go with here, but I think both Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo will be in the rotation. Lodolo pitched again on Tuesday. He threw three scoreless with three strikeouts. And so far in spring, he's allowed just one run with nine Ks to one walk. I think he's in. One of them definitely has to be in at okay. this point. One of Green and Lodolo does. They they still have enough options to fill to fill out the rotation and leave one of them out. And Green's the one already on the 40-man roster. So I would guess that gives him the leg up over Lodolo. Mm. But it also looks like Lodolo is more clearly ready. So I, you know, and it's hard to say. And and maybe both of them do. Maybe both of them do. Let's do it. I think that's in, certainly a possibility. And um, should be on late round radars and every league. Yeah, we have a few of those coming up. Mitch Keller, Mackenzie Gore as well. There's no shortage. Even Reed Detmers 
Uh, Chris, he's someone that's been rising up draft mm-hmm. boards. I know you like him as well. Uh, I got to mention Justin Verlander with four scoreless innings, six strikeouts to one walk on Tuesday. He got up to 62 pitches. He has not allowed a run in three spring starts. And the ADP has been on the rise the last two weeks. NFBC, he's going right around pick 80. So, uh, Scott, now that he's on the rise, what do you think? Like, if if you got to use a sixth or seventh round pick on Justin Verlander, are you comfortable doing it? I'm comfortable doing it. Yeah, I don't know that he's really leapfrogging anybody in my starting pitcher rankings. I already had him ranked plenty high. Uh, so, you know, I have him going like right after Jose Barrios and Freddy Peralta. I'm pretty high in guys. But I, I'm I'm comfortable with him going earlier. I, I always thought he was going too late. So maybe now he's just about right, and I'd be happy to take him still. All right, I mentioned Mitch Keller with four more scoreless innings on Tuesday. The fastball velo was up again, 96.4 miles per hour. Last year, that was 93.8. He threw 17 sliders, 15 curveballs in this start. And perhaps the biggest positive is he has just one walk through his first three spring starts. So, um, Chris, I feel like you're the one who's talked about Keller the past couple of seasons. Are you actually buying into what you've seen so far? Define buying into. A late round sleeper, you know. I am buying into Mitch Keller throwing harder. Here's the thing. Sure. Like a month ago, he's in my, doing it objectively. A, a month ago, we were not drafting him in mock drafts. And now yeah, no, I'm drafting. he is legitimately being drafted. Yeah. Yeah. Like he, I drafted him in NF, in TGFBI, which is a 15 team. Uh, I drafted him in my FSGA experts league yesterday. So that's another 15 team. But yeah, I think he's in the 12 team Roto discussion. Definitely in the reserve rounds. If you have that. So yeah, I, He's still not getting a ton of swing to misses. That was a little better in this start um, than the previous ones, but you know it was a lot of swings and misses on his fastball. I'm not sure what he has still besides the the really hard fastball, and even then, I'm not sure if it's a great pitch. But yeah, you can't ignore a guy who's throwing 96 miles per hour on average with his fastball um, with the kind of pedigree that Mitch Keller has. So expectations should be tempered as always, but. They should be risen. All right. Mackenzie Gore, we mentioned earlier that Mike Clevenger got rocked in his start on Tuesday. Mackenzie Gore pitched later on in that game. He allowed two runs over four innings of work. He has 11 strikeouts to just one walk this spring. And I saw an intriguing quote from Bob Melvin after the game. Every time Gore pitches like that, we certainly have to take a look and see what the potential is going to be. Melvin also also said that he prefers a five-man rotation, but hasn't ruled out six starters to open the season. Scott, who would you rather take a late-round flyer on, Mackenzie Gore or Mitch Keller? I, th- I think Keller, just because you know he has the role, and I you could probably get away with not taking Gore more. I know Gore went... I, I took Gore in this mock draft we did tonight. It was several rounds after Keller went. So, you know, a lot of your drafts are going to be ended before I think Gore's really on the table unless they announce that he's in the rotation. And then I think the math completely changes because uh, a Gore being given a chance, I think is uh, even more promising than what we've, what we've seen from Keller and the velocity jump this spring. Let's quickly just wrap up here. Players who will gain position eligibility this upcoming season for CBS position players. It's 20 games the year before or five games in the current season. Pitchers need five starts uh, to become starting pitcher eligible and 10 relief appearances for relief pitcher eligibility. And the you know early-ish round names, which will gain eligibility. Trevor Story, 
will get second base within the first week of the season, seemingly. Bobby Witt Jr., if he starts on the opening day roster, will also gain third base eligibility very early on. Adalberto Montesi is the opposite of that. He has third base now, but should gain shortstop eligibility. Franmo Reyes, I read a quote recently that Terry Francona wants to get Franmo Reyes in the outfield maybe more frequently, and he has played two games there uh, so far this spring, which would certainly help his value. I mean, for those deeper five outfielder leagues, if, yep. if you're drafting Reyes now as a util only bat, he gains outfield eligibility. That's huge. Yep. That's huge. Yeah. Of, you know, we know Otani's not going to. We know Nelson Cruz isn't going to. Of the DH only bats, uh, Reyes is the one more likely to pick up outfield eligibility. And, and by the way, that, that in, in and of itself might be the reason to rank him ahead of Nelson Cruz. Like that might be the tiebreaker between those two for me. Is just at some point I might be able to play Reyes somewhere other than utility. Yeah, that's fair. And we've talked a bunch recently about how Bobby Wood gaining third base eligibility helps that position overall. Obviously, Chris Bryant moving to Coors Field helps third base as well. Uh, Bobby Witt, another name on the rise. In that mock draft we did on Tuesday night, he went inside the top 60 picks. So uh, the hype is yep, growing. At least I've seen him go. Yep. Yep. The hype is growing there. Some late round options and who will gain eligibility. Nikki Lopez will gain second base. Ahmed Rosario should gain outfield at some point, Kevin Biggio seems like he's going to at least be the strong side of a platoon at second base for the Blue Jays. Uh, Bryson Stott, if he is on the opening day roster, could earn third base eligibility. He has shortstop to start the season. O'Neill Cruz, when he eventually makes it to the Pirates, I think they want to play him in the outfield a little bit. So he's got shortstop now, could gain outfield eligibility. And then three relief pitcher eligible pitchers who should gain starting pitcher at some point. Severino. Hopefully, if he's healthy, Michael Kopech, I think he'll gain that rather quickly the first month of the season. And then Aaron Ashby, if he works his way into the Brewers rotation, someone who has a bunch of upside and should gain starting pitcher eligibility as well. We're going to wrap there. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball Today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com.